I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. So the word that comes to mind when I think of today's guest is curiosity. QD3 is the son of Quincy Jones, the legendary record producer. He grew up in Sweden, became a champion breakdancer and martial artist before getting into the music business himself, making hit records with Tupac, with Ice Cube, with a bunch of other people, and really um, being involved as in the, the formative years of hip-hop. But at the top of his game, he decided to leave the music business and started producing videos. And he got really successful with a, a popular video series called Beef, which explored the rap beefs from Biggie and Tupac. You know, it was a, a multi-series that really explored every avenue of, of beef that you could imagine. And now he's having his third career as a tech entrepreneur. He just launched a new company called WeMash and a new app in the app store called Weems, W-E-M-E-S. And he's going to talk to us about this journey that's this sort of restlessness that's carried him through his life and it's brought him through some ups and downs, some days he mentioned of being rich and some not so rich and what's pushed him through all that. So I'm excited to get into it. Before we do, let's hear the EDM.com track of the week. That was a little bit of G House for our EDM.com track of the week. 
The artist is called Mishka, M-I-S-H-Q-A. And the song's called Lights and Hustle. You can find that on EDM.com or at SoundCloud.com slash First Edition. This is Rebel Radio. You might be listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, or uh, maybe somebody made you a cassette tape. I don't know. How, how should I know? But let's get into the interview with Quincy Jones. Thanks for coming, man. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Yeah, I appreciate you being <laughs> here. It's been a long time, as we're yeah. saying. I th- so I think I came to some, you were doing like some kind of upfront or something when you launched, um, I think it was launching QD3 Entertainment. What was the upfront for what now? Was I'm trying to remember, but it was like, I think when you launched, uh, when did you launch QD3 Entertainment? Two, 2001. Oh, no. So this was around, this would have been around 2000. Eight, something like that, and it it was like uh, I'm trying to remember where it was, but there was like a big presentation on the video screen, and you had all kind of uh, you know, ad and tech folks there. Oh, oh, your man yeah, yeah, Paul, yeah. I was, think that was the uh, uh, was it the uh, the Urban Media Summit? Yeah, 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 yeah. that's yeah. right. Hip hop and everybody that's was right. there. Yeah, yeah, yep. Chuck D and all that. Yeah, that was dope. Yeah, that was fun. So what are you doing now? Um, so what I'm doing now, man, I'm doing a whole bunch of stuff, tech stuff, actually. Let me turn I'm sure. this off real quick. Speaking of tech. <laughs> is, um, is, uh, I'm doing a couple things. I just launched a company called uh, WeMash. Okay. WeMash.com. Okay. And basically what it is is my whole life I've always been, you know, um, passionate about technology. That's like my first love, really. I don't yeah. know if people know that. No. But that's what I went to school for, engineering. And is that right? Stuff. Yeah. Oh, shit. And, um, and I've always been a geek since day one. Like, I, I always wanted to get on, like, Wired Magazine and Mix Magazine. I didn't care about Billboard and okay. Grammys or nothing like that. Really? To me, it was all about the tech prowess, right? Yeah. So, like, I was carrying around my drum machine. I had handcuffs to it. Like, <laughs> that was, like, the whole focal point for me was tech. Right. And Mantronic was, like, my idol, you know what okay. I mean? And, and so, like... Like I said, when I, w- I went to Berkeley uh, College of Music, but mm-hmm. I always took the engineering line. Mm-hmm. And that's all I care about. And uh, so, so long story short, you know, I woke up. Thank you. I woke up and um, like about a year and a half ago, and was like, you know, I gotta go full steam into tech. I've always sort of dibbled and dabbled with it, and and had like side businesses that foray into that, like VOD channels and yeah. YouTube and all that. But I wanted to do it full time, so I studied. You know, I went and studied all the books. Read Ben Horowitz's book called uh, The Hard Things About hard things oh yeah yeah it's a yeah. great book and i just fell in love with with him and the whole notion of of going full-time in the tech and and just hit him on twitter and um and i had this idea that i bought the domain for back in 2004 called we mesh and it was basically the premise is that you know um i've been in music sampling my whole life mm-hmm. and making records from old records taking old hits and creating new hits mm-hmm. and you know um i saw the opportunity that, um of video taking the same path so I bought the URL of WeMesh like way back in 2004 before YouTube even existed to do that play and it was just too early. Mm-hmm. So every year I would try and try and try and then like a year and a half ago I read Ben's book, yeah. hit him on Twitter, went up to him and pitched it and uh, we got financed. So. Nice. So I'm, I'm doing that full time now. So much. and what's it going to be? It's uh, basically a mashup platform. Um, like you know how people are doing mashups with like they're taking like film 
mm-hmm. clips and music video footage and yeah. interview footage and they're creating their own videos or doing things like bad lip reading where they put their own voice on yep. other movie clips to change the context and make it funny yeah and all that stuff is illegal right mm-hmm. so people are stealing the content you know right. they're doing whatever they can to sure. to grab it and so the problem with that is the the, the creators the people that create that content can't make money off it because it's illegal mm-hmm. youtube can't make money off it and the licensors can't make money off it because it's like multiple clips mashed up and they only right. own one of them yeah. so we're fixing that whole universe by creating a platform where we're clearing the content beforehand putting mm-hmm. it in the cloud letting people mash it up with tools that we build and then being able to export it to youtube vessel and twitter Vine, oh, and all that's that great. stuff. yeah why hasn't nice. anyone done that you know i, I I don't know. Like, it seems like YouTube would make a move to try to do something like that, but that's brilliant. I, I think the problem is that, you know, any of the bigger companies is a threat to any of the licensors, right? right. So, right. like, if YouTube gets uh, management of all the rights for music and, and video, then, you know, what are the entertainment companies even there for? Oh. Right? So they can't really give that right. up. So yeah, they're going to need a less threatening middleman like sure. us to do it. No, it's interesting. I think, I mean, even... You know, what's happened with the MCNs, right, is like, yeah. you know, at the beginning it was just YouTube didn't have the bandwidth to think about that. Exactly. So they said, well, let's let some other people handle that. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, let somebody else prove that there's a business there. Yep. And then we'll worry about it. And I think, you know, to your point, it's like certain things need to develop under the radar. Yep. You know, we talk about that, right? We, culturally, is certain things need to happen just mm-hmm. like yeah. without all of the attention and the pressure. Mm-hmm. And you got to think too. YouTube, they're, they're they're smart. You know, they know that no matter what we build on YouTube, they get the same percent if they did it right. themselves. Exactly. Right. So why would they build it? Right. So let somebody else do it. Figure out the model yeah, and smart. the yep. legalities and all and, of that. And that's how our platform works. Also, is like we put the content up there and we give them the tools, but then mm-hmm. other you know, um, app creators can develop tools for the platform also, mm-hmm. and then the users are doing the content. So, you know, th- it's up to the, to the universe's creativity on what can end up on the site any given day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did you realize there was a need for this? So I, I'm actually a, a filmmaker also. Like right. I started music as a music producer, and then and then I was a filmmaker, and I built a media company called QD3 Entertainment. Um, I started in like 1998, like gathering footage. Uh, my lawyer Joel Katz, he told me he said, you know. Um, whatever you're doing right now, I know you're a techie, you know, there's this thing called the internet coming out and it was like, wait, it was before it went public. Yeah. And he showed me a 14K modem and I was like, oh shit, (laughs) you know? And so at the time he told me, he said, invest everything on this thing called the internet. And, um, uh, and at the time I was thinking about doing a Ken's Murr series, right? Like Mm -hmm. for hip hop, Mm -hmm. like documenting hip hop Mm -hmm. in a video series. It was going to be VHS before DVDs even. Mm -hmm. And he was like, no, you should do it on the Internet. So so I started buying footage like I would take all my Tupac revenues and just buy like Biggie and Tupac footage and and like old classic stuff of Dre working in the studio. And then I started shooting my own content also Mm -hmm. with the idea of going straight to consumer. Mm -hmm. And so we did that. And within about a year and a half of launching QD3 Entertainment, we were like number one in terms of like being a producer, aggregator, mm-hmm. and distributor of urban content. Right. So we built a catalog of like Jay-Z, Kanye, Tupac, Lil Wayne, all this, you know, right. iconic footage. And for every DVD that we were shooting, we were shooting like 100, to 300 hours per project. That's and good. then we'd use an hour. Mm-hmm. And then the rest would just go in a vault. And I was right. thinking for myself, like, I'm not going to really reopen these projects and, and look through it again. Like, we already did that. Right. But what if we crowdsourced it? Mm-hmm. And that way... 
you know, um, you know, I like to help underserved communities also. Mm-hmm. So I look at it like if you're if you're a kid in the hood and you you want to get into the media industry or digital industry, digital right. media industry, um, here's a way where you can jump right in. You don't have to pay clearances up front, right? Mm-hmm. And you um you have basically all the high end premium content available right. all you have to do is curate it edit it and do your thing with it you know it's, it makes it easier for a lot of people to monetize right digital media yeah that's yeah. awesome yeah. so it's targeting people that want to create films or it's targeting films. literally anything like p- people are using like mashups to express themselves you know to message each yeah. other memes yeah. and to do memes we just yeah. created a meme app we can talk about that but so it's like anything you can imagine. It could be somebody who has a cause, and they know that if they say it on YouTube, it might not get millions of views. But if they have, yeah, that's brilliant. You know, a mashup say it with famous names. You know, it might right. get more attention. So yeah. Th- or somebody who's a site owner and they want to just program their site, mm-hmm. and they don't have access to talent or video production, they come on here and just curate. Yeah, that's brilliant. So I want to go back to the beginning though. Because uh, you had an interesting career now spanning, you know, multiple industries. Yep. Um, but I want to go back to how you got started. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and so obviously, um, uh, you know, it, it seems seems sort of obvious that you would go into music. Like, uh, you know, as Quincy Jones' son. Yeah. And um, so what was that like, though? How were you first exposed to the, the making of music? Oh, man. You know, I, I have had the good fortune of even beyond my dad, but especially my dad, you know, mm-hmm. um, just always been around classic, you know, music sessions my whole life, you know. Mm-hmm. And starting with my dad, you know, like I used to go to sessions. I was the only boy in the family, still right. am. So sure. So he would bring me to everything, you know. Yeah. So, like, I would go to, like, the Off the Wall, Thriller Sessions, George Benson, I was there when he met Michael in New yeah. York when they were doing The Wiz. Wow. You know, and I just got to see all these things. When you're a kid, you take it for granted. But sure. then as I got older, I was like, How, how old were you? I was like, it started when I was like four or five years old. Yeah. I used to go to like Roberta Flack concerts with them and right. jazz, all that. When did you realize it, it meant something? Like you knew you were in something special? Way later. So, uh, yeah, when did like you realize that your dad was Quincy Jones? Yeah. That that took a long time to be honest with you because yeah. you take it for granted. Sure. Like I said, you know, you yeah, grow up seeing things from, from an early age and you take it for granted. It wasn't until like way later until I got even remotely, fractionally close to to touching the world he's been in. That's when it started dawning on me like, damn, this is, damn, he's really, <laughs> right. you know. Right. Were you always inspired by your dad? Yeah. You know, it's uh, like when I first got into music, um, it was through hip hop, mm-hmm. and and like I was going through his records was the first crate that I dug through, you know. Right. right. And and just growing up on jazz yeah. more than anything, I was raised with jazz. Like yeah. the Michael Jackson stuff was later, but jazz yeah, is like his foundation and my foundation to some degree. Yeah. So, is there a a downside career wise to being Quincy Jones's son? Um, I I think in the beginning when I was getting into hip hop, I remember going to Priority Records and and Brian Turner, I think, was like, you know, you should just do Fresh Prince. And I was like, whoa. Wow. (laughs) Like, I don't even think he knew, you know, my background really. But people have that knee-jerk response like, oh, he's he's visiting, you know. Sure. Right. And um, so that was a little bit of an issue. But but I think because of where I placed myself and just organically how I was connecting with people, Mm -hmm. I was able to, to just override it. But. But I think the main thing is people's preconceptions when I was getting into hip hop. Right. One of them. And then also, like, people might expect you to have a 
a predefined path based on his sensibilities also. Right. And um, and I think, you know, the older I get, the more I realize that we are very similar. Mm-hmm. So when you're young, you know, you want to forge your own path. Sure. Course, yeah. yeah. So I think that, 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 I think that happens with all yeah. children, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I think looking back, I would have took even more advantage of it, to be honest. I would have owned it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that's something that I look back and I was like, damn, you know, there's a lot of continuity. Yeah. And you can still do whatever you have to do. But yeah, yeah. I would have mm-hmm. probably soaked it up even more. It's funny. I remember I met uh, Randy Spelling when he was yeah. trying to be a rapper. Right. And uh, I forget the name oh. of his crew. <laughs> it, it wasn't good. No, all respect to Randy. But, uh, all right. But and he was really like he had changed his name, that he was really trying to distance himself from his father. Got it. And I, and, you know, he was looking for management, so I sat with him at Jerry's Deli, and I said, "Look, man, go be Aaron Spelling's son, right. and like take, like, right. you know, create your own thing. But this is a fucking hard business, right? Like, mm-hmm. get in the door. Right. If yeah. that gets you in the door, get in the door. Right. And then you can do whatever you want mm-hmm. once you're yeah. there. Yeah. But uh, he wasn't hearing that, you know. But some of that is. It's just age, right? It's just you, yeah. you know. See, I think my head was my paradigm was because before I even moved here, um, we won the Swedish Breakdance Championship, right. which was the whole world to me. You sure. Know? Yeah. And um, yeah, you had your own experience. And then we had a hit record. So by the mm-hmm. time I got here, I didn't. Right. I didn't feel so like. Yeah. You like you needed I mean? it. Well, it was just more like I was able to get a taste before I got right. hit with the pressure. Right. 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 Yeah, know? that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's in my great. mind, I didn't really, you know, feel like that reliance and that's I'm saying that with respect like I feel like okay mm-hmm. you know I'm starting here and yeah, things yeah, are going sure. and everything and, but I think now there's nothing I want to do more than following his footsteps now the mm-hmm. older I get the more I want to do it you asked earlier like when did I get it mm-hmm. I'm just now really starting to get the legacy right. part Wow. And, and how similar we really are in a lot mm-hmm. of ways and how we've sort of done different things and changed path and then bring it all together and, right. and I think that that's something I embrace like a lot now so we're talking about doing some pretty interesting things have you guys ever worked together? Of, yeah, you know, we did um, a couple records together. Like, I, I co-produced um, a lot of the songs on uh, the, the Juke Joint and, okay. and the one before that. Oh, uh, is that Back on the Block? Yep. Exactly. Okay, I was right. rapping on there with him and everything. Oh, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, damn, we're going to But like I said, that. if we did that, yeah, the intro of the whole thing. Okay. I think he had to go to the dentist, and they were like, why don't you do it? I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, I got to rap? That's <laughs> funny. I'll be Nice. Stories. So so yeah so but I think if we did it now it would be from a much more mindful place yeah mm-hmm. much more continuity and everything whereas yeah. at that time like I said I was just trying to prove to hip hop you know right now it's much bigger than that so yeah like, so what was it do you remember first record that yeah so like like they used to play uh, Marvin Gaye but Herbie Hancock and Stevie Wonder those are my favorites mm-hmm. <laughs> which which records uh the songs in the key of life. You know, uh, Herbie Hancock, all of them. Watermelon Man, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. The Headhunters. Yeah, yeah. So, so growing up in that environment, like, did you, was there a conscious decision that I'm going to go make music mm-hmm. or did it just sort of happen? And 
To be honest with you, I think I tried to resist it yeah. because everybody was asking, are you going to do music just like your dad yeah. and this, right. that, and other? And then, you know, I think every kid has that streak of like, well, right. I'm going to maybe try something else. Yeah. Right. And I tried that and everything always led back to music. What would you right. try? I tried um, martial arts. I was into that big time. You know, mm-hmm. I thought that was going to be a life career. You know, <laughs> when you're young, you know. Sure. Um, and then... Um, and then I got into breakdancing big time. I was on tour with like yeah. Levi's and Nike and all that stuff. And then that led me back to music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, eventually, yeah. All elements of music. Exactly. Tied to that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. What about, you know, you've lived in so many different places. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I did see your interview on camouflaging um, and adapting, or not camouflaging and adapting quickly. But like, how did music play a role in that like living in all these different places did you listen to what was playing in your house or did you pull influences from the streets and neighborhoods um it was a combination of everything i think i got a great foundation growing up you know i saw the sessions i heard the great records and it was always curated at the highest level Mm -hmm. and then um like i said i moved out i lived in paris for a little while as a kid i lived in sweden most of my upbringing which is a really musical place by the way like that they're the music capital of the world right now is that right yeah i didn't know that um they're the third largest exporter of music in the world and we only have nine million people wow so so how is you how how's your music influenced by by sweden because in Sweden, it's it's another curation play, right? Where it's, like, it's geographically on top of everything, so they mm-hmm. don't have a regional sort of specialty. They listen to the best from everywhere. Oh, wow. So the best from the West Coast, the best from the East Coast, the best mm-hmm. from America, Paris, everywhere. So it's all always about the best of everything. Because with 9 million people, you don't have room for a mid and low class of taste. Right. Yeah. Everything is good. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, like, if you buy a coffee in Sweden, no matter where you get it from 7-Eleven, anywhere, it'll be the best coffee you ever That's had. That's what I've life. heard. People, yeah. like, my friend went to Geneva, and she said, like, the McDonald's is so expensive and amazing. It's a, Yeah, right. everything tastes good. There's no room for, for low or mid level of anything. Clothes, mm-hmm. nothing. So, all you see your whole life is really the best of everything. Mm-hmm. It's not a wealthy country in that it's a socialist country. It's, like, right. It's right. pretty low-key. But but just their sensibilities are are high end. So yeah. being introduced to that, were you, did you have a different ear for music or talent? Like, did you see things different because you were always exposed to like the best? Yeah, I think I think we just always w- were trained, just from my up personal upbringing and from society to, mm-hmm. to just just only pay attention to to, to number one, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Or what's like really good, whether it's well known or not. Just focus on the best stuff. So you get led back to music, and then is uh, is SoundLab the first? Yeah. So was, so was that I mean, record wise? Yeah, yeah. So crazy enough, um, like when I was still like on the fence between you know martial arts and music, mm-hmm. um, uh, the opportunity came to to do the soundtrack um, and and act in a movie in Sweden, and it was about this park we used to all hang out in, where hip hop kind of started in Sweden. Oh mm-hmm. wow! It was like nineteen eighty two, eighty three. And I used to be in that park all day, so they wanted real people from from the park to be in the movie and be involved. So I was like, I'll do the music. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't done it before, but I, I just wanted to be part of the project. Right. Yeah. And so they bought me some equipment when I was like 14 years old. And they were like, if you guys can figure all this out, like you got it. And I was like, cool. I learned it yeah. on the spot. Yeah. And that's how I really got into music. And don't you know, that movie and soundtrack was like one of the top selling projects of all time in Sweden. Is that were, right? The first time I ever wrote a song, it was like a smash hit. What was <laughs> you know, it called? Like, it was called Stockholm's Night. Okay. And it was like a rock song. We did hip-hop song. We did a little bit of everything. We were just yeah. trying mm-hmm. to get out there. 
Yeah. And um, and it was like a big, huge hit. Like people cover that song to this day. Wow. So, so I guess yeah. we all had natural talent, all, all the kids in the room. And yeah. we were all like 14, 15. And we did the whole album ourselves. That's amazing. You know, so. And then what, so what goes through your mind when all of a sudden you got a hit record, you're a teenager? <laughs> Nothing. Do you I, have I, any idea? <laughs> I, I didn't know. Same thing as I didn't realize the level yeah. my dad was at. We yeah. had no idea how hard it was to get that to happen. So yeah. we're like, cool, you know, whatever. Right. Just messing around. And I left Sweden like a few weeks after that blew up. So I didn't even get came to Came back really, here. Yeah, I came back here. Oh my yeah. God, that's so wild. Yeah. And did you come back knowing that now I'm a musician? Um, is that like you came back here to make music or was it something else? In my head, I was still a B-boy mm-hmm. slash like I was trying to be the king of the beats at the time. Like mm-hmm. Mantronic was mm-hmm. my, my god, my like god at the time. Right. Yeah. So I was just trying to be the, the king of hip hop tech. Like that was my thing even mm-hmm. back then, you know. Mm-hmm. So I came here to do that. So I moved to, to the Bronx first in New York and uh, was roommates with Tila Rock. OK. First rapper on, uh, on yeah. um, Def Jam. And so, like, I was there for, like, I don't, I can't even remember how long, but it was a while. And, like, his roommate, I mean, his brother was a special K from the Treacherous Three. Mm-hmm. So that, that was my hip-hop foundation. Wow, like, yeah. Right there in the South Bronx, it was incredible. Was yeah. that intentional to room with him? Or did it just happen because you guys were friends? Um, it, it just happened. My mom, you know, uh, for one reason or another, ha- pretty much wanted to get out of Sweden. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so he told me, he said, if you ever come to New York, you know, you can stay with me. And I, I don't think he meant it. Yeah, <laughs> but you took him up on it. But I took him up on it, yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. And so now you're thrusting that, I, I would have guessed that the hip-hop community in the South Bronx is a little different than the hip-hop community in Sweden. It was different, but it wasn't that different. You know, what do you mean? Because we because like, like all those mixtapes and battle tapes busy b versus blah blah blah, and all that breakdance videos like all the underground things that were in new york somehow we got them before mm-hmm. the internet i don't know mm-hmm. how so when i got there i knew almost everything it's just like the slang mm-hmm. where to go where not to go that kind of stuff mm-hmm. i had to learn sure but um in general like everything was hip-hop code it was all the same everywhere mm-hmm. you know but it was in- incredible that experience like was probably the best experience you can have as somebody trying to get into hip hop because yeah. I was on the same block as like Fat Joe, uh, Nice and Smooth, like Greg Nice was mm-hmm. Tila Rock's beatboxer. Oh, you know, wow. um, uh, Sedgwick and Cedar was about a block away. Like mm-hmm. we were right there at the epicenter. Melly Mel was on the corner. Like, so were you guys you know, going to like the same coffee shops, pizza joints? Like how, how does that? Yeah, like I would go to the corner store and see Melly Mel outside or That's like crazy. Cowboy from Furious 5 like on our block every day. Like it was like the epicenter of hip hop was right where we were. Wow. Mm-hmm. So like that and walking around with Special K, T-Rock's brother, like giving me tours of the Bronx and talking about everything. It was incredible. And it was also the year that, that crack hit and AIDS mm-hmm. and all that. So like mm-hmm. New York was real. Yeah. Like raw at that yeah. time, right. you know. So, so go ahead. Well, how how aware are you then that like I mean it's easy to look back now and say, Okay, I was kinda at ground zero for, you know, this thing that's gone on to influence the entire world. Yep. Right. But how aware of it were you at the time? I was probably more aware of it than anybody because coming from a place where you you never see a rapper walking around right, right. to to being at the epicenter of it, yeah. I was yeah. like you guys see this? Like, right. like oh, it's just da, da, da. and I was right, like, right. no, 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 let's take pictures and yeah. you know get autographs and all that. So I yeah. was like, I was a super fan, and we'd be in the studio like in the South Bronx. I remember one session, um, 
KRS-One was recording the, de the demo for Criminal Minded before us. Mm -hmm. so we were waiting for his session to end. Mm -hmm. And I remember playing around with those sounds, like all that classic moments. Yeah. We'd be at a studio called Powerplay, and Rakim was next door working on Microphone Fiend, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like all these mm -hmm. classic sessions. I think I sensed that, that it was probably bigger than most people mm -hmm. in the room. Yeah. Because right. I was like, came from a different perspective. I was a fiend, fiend before fiend. I became a teen. I melted microphones instead of cones and ice cream music orientated. So when hip hop was originated, fitted like pieces of puzzles, complicated. Cause I grabbed the mic and try to say yes, y'all. They try to take it and say that I'm too small. Cool, cause I don't get upset. I kick a hole in the speaker, pull a plug, then I jet back to the lab without a mic to grab. So then I add all the rhymes I had, one after the other one. Then I make another one to diss the opposite. Then ask if the brother's done. I get a craving like I fiend for nicotine, but I don't need a cigarette. Know what I mean? So is that where the documenting side of you, like, was inspired? That's exactly right. Yeah, that's so, awesome. So I was taking pictures, I was saving everything, and, and I was living in New York at the most, you know, golden age of hip-hop, and then I moved to L.A. and worked with, like, Dre and Q before they blew up with NWA and mm -hmm. all that stuff. Dub C, like, I mm -hmm. used, you know, I used to give Young MC a ride to school. Like, you know, we used to all just work together trying to make it. And, um, yeah, so. That's wild. Was there, so before we leave New York, was there a lesson or you know, some game that you got from Tila Rock or any of those guys? I think they taught me the difference between, like, rap and lyrics. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because I thought everything spoken word was rap. Mm -hmm. Like, even the stuff we tried to do, and they were like, no, no, no. Like, this is lyrics, and this is rap, and they and they yeah. were basically the inventors of the new school, those guys. You know, Special mm -hmm. K, Tila Rock were the first ones to use long words mm -hmm. and, like, right bunch of syllables and like change up the rhythm and mm -hmm. everything was more complex mm -hmm. so i really like god bless me to put me in the right exact right place right time right place yeah. right yeah, time yeah malcolm gladwell says best. that exactly. yeah that's awesome so when you moved to la were you like maybe i shouldn't leave new york because this is the hub or did you take what you left knowing that i'm going to take everything i've learned here and apply it in LA yeah when I first came to LA it was crazy because they didn't know who KRS was right they didn't even have the records I had to order the records and then play it for people like this is hip-hop <laughs> you know and it was right when Ice-T was like the main person mm -hmm. and then I hooked up with this guy named Crazy Tunes mm -hmm. he was uh, Dub C's brother and me and him became production partners and we signed this girl Terry B oh I didn't know that yeah you know I used to manage Dub and really yeah okay yeah like in the, uh, <laughs> I, it, so for Curb Server and Westside Connection and Shadiest one. Okay. So. Dope. Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't know you guys were. This is like, this I is, mean, this is a this while is before that. 87. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so, so we signed, we, 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 we did a demo on this girl, Terry B, and then she ended up getting signed to Dr. Dre and EZ right. when they had, when they were called Comtown Records before Ruthless, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's how I got in the game, really. And then I, you asked me the question about the transplanting from New York. Right. I didn't really think about it. Like, if I went to Japan, Hip hop was there. If I went right. to Sweden, right. hip hop was there. We, Even we before the internet, that's wild. You bring it wherever you go. It was never like a difference. Mm -hmm. And but I also, you came into so Ice T, you know, Everlast, which I know you worked with. Yep. Yep. Uh, like that was kind of the New York connection to the, to L A. Yeah. Right, because those guys had come from the East Coast, and yep. you know they knew that. But then the, you know cats like Dub and Dre and like they hadn't, they had never been to the East Coast. Exactly. And I'll be honest. I mean, I. 
everybody kind of frowned on LA back then. They were like, mm-hmm. yeah. there there was no real hip hop here at the time. Sure. Mm-hmm. But it was it was like bubbling under. Mm-hmm. So I was lucky enough to be part of that and and catch this right. wave also, you know. But it you know, I was just looking for like rappers. Right. <laughs> People that were actually in the lyrics and stuff. So Yeah. That's awesome. So right place, right time. You're super hungry. Like what else would you say was why you were so successful i think a lot of it had to do with that hunger coming Mm -hmm. from another place and being starved out and Mm -hmm. then once you get it you're like i want to eat everything kind of thing and um and then also i think you know having success early made me pretty fearless so i would try things like if i wanted to do something i wouldn't i wouldn't say well i don't know if i can do that i would be probably overconfident oh but that's like we hear that constantly that overconfidence like yeah. really pushes people in I the mean, room feeling the fear but still pushing ahead right mm-hmm. overconfident yeah, no, that's in that way definitely you know? a common theme we hear with these successful djs that we've interviewed i think it's it's in confidence defined as like not worrying about you know just following your, your so did you did you learn that or you know was that was that from dad or was that yeah like, my, my dad always told from? me uh, both my parents, but especially my dad, always told me that um, if you just follow your passion, you're always going to get the money mm-hmm. and everything yeah. else. And if you follow the money, you know, who knows what's going to happen. And I've tried both approaches, and I, I can attest that the first one is probably better. Right. So when did you follow the money? And what happened? I tried what following happened? the money, like, like for a period of, uh, it was when I got into the DVD game. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I started doing too many projects and expanding in directions that weren't really me right. but I was trying them because they seemed higher level and yeah. all these different things mm-hmm. and it just yeah. didn't feel right and it didn't equate to like put it this way like you can spend 300,000 on a on a on a documentary you love and are pa- and passionate about and 3 million on a documentary that that's kind of like just an expansion play right and the 300,000 one is the one that's going to really kill it for you sure. you know it's that kind of thing yeah yeah you know so you have to like you so have to stick to stick to to what you know and what you love and then th- bigger things can come out of something that mm-hmm. might be seemingly a niche you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how do you you know i we hear that a lot like follow your passion i mean everything you read like what motivates you follow that but for some people you know, it could be fear of losing something or fear of not getting the next big thing. Like, how do you coach yourself through that? Like, stick to your gut or stick to what you love. But sometimes you want to, like, maybe try other new things. Like, how do you balance that, those thoughts? I'm, I'm, a, I'm pretty radical with that, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I, like, for instance, like, I quit music, cold turkey, because I knew that I was more passionate about documenting what I loved and when when the love for the original play kind of declined a little bit because of the marketplace mm-hmm. I was like let me just focus on what I loved and I went back mm-hmm. and I was like let me document this and I figured you know on TV when I watched hip-hop documentaries they were never really like I was never like oh yeah that's exactly what happened it was more like really you know mm-hmm. and I was like I want to be the Ken Burns of hip-hop mm-hmm. and I just got that in my mind and, and, and then I pursued yeah. it you know, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm pretty fearless. I've and now I've just did it again. I felt like my sensibilities are better suited in technology now than in film or music. I'm not just gonna go for it. Right. Yeah. So so I want to hear about how that happened a little bit. So you, you know, I think when we met, I was trying to remember how we first met. And you know, I think you just around, right? Like yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, you were working with Ice Cube. Yeah, you know, with Tupac, 
yeah. with um, LL, mm-hmm. right? So some of the biggest names, yeah. you know, uh, in the world. And, and, you know, the album you did with Justin Warfield, I think, wasn't um, commercially successful, but, like, had a big impact, had a lot of influence. In Europe, I know this, yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, like... I was talking, we had Adam 12 on the other day and he was talking about, you know, his experience with Justin and, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, I think like, even though that didn't sell a lot, it meant a lot to a lot of people. Got it. Um, So you're doing that, you're kind of at the top of the game, you know, I'm I'm sure money's flowing in. Yeah. And, uh, but, but you decide like you got to move on. From music, you mean? Yeah. Like what was the sort of the transition? What happened? Like how'd you? You know, with music, it was like... yeah. Describe that morning when you wake up. You're <laughs> yeah. like, okay, this is my last day as a producer. You know, I, I was in music, and I, I was trying to build a business out of music, and, and I had a bunch of producers signed to me. I had a you know a joint venture with Windswept for like 15, 16 years, and, yep. and had a, a really great business there. And then, um, and then I think you know Tupac passed away. That was a big part of it, because mm-hmm. sure. working with him and Ice Cube, him and Ice Cube are like favorite people in the, in the universe you know mm-hmm. like just working with them it was like they always brought 300 percent to the table wow. mm-hmm. so so when that sort of era passed and and then you know it went into maybe people emulating them but maybe not all of it mm-hmm. right? taking their shirt off but that was it you know what yeah. i mean and right. and i felt like like it wasn't the same thing like when i was working with cube even ll at some point you know those those are like my three mentors ll ice cube and, and tupac when I was working with them, we felt like we were having an influence on the community. So, yeah. like, you'd hear people change their mind about issues right. based on the music we were making. That's what I liked. Yeah. I liked that substance and that sort right. of leadership. And then it became the other way around. Everybody became followers. Every record sounded kind of the same. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, while I could still appreciate some of the music, I just wasn't feeling it. Like, right. after being part of something that meaningful... It was hard to engage. Right. right. And I was looking for the next Pac and the next Cube. Yeah. Who was really trying to change the world and, and just went in a different direction. So, like I said, I, d- I decided just, you know, I'm going to quit cold turkey mm-hmm. um, and and just put my energies where I think I can make a difference right now. Mm-hmm. So, if you think of them as mentors, what what, do you, what would you say you learned from them? Um, whew, from, from LL, I learned work ethics, you know, like... He would leave me in the studio and come back the next day and expect things to keep moving forward, mm-hmm. right? So, like, he, he taught me how to how to really grind and not complain and just keep going, you know? Like, right. he'd be like, try 10 things. I'd be like, well, we already have it. And he's like, no, try 10 more. <laughs> and just kept pushing me, you know? Mm-hmm. And then um, I was staying at his house in New York when we were doing his record, so mm-hmm. 14 Shots to the Dome. So, like, we'd go down to the basement and spar and, like, do karate and shit and then go to the studio the next day. So it was like a holistic... Nice partnership right yeah. where, where we were we were just he was mentoring me personally and professionally you know so it was just a dope relationship with cube he was like uh, if you show up five minutes late you know you missed the session mm-hmm. so everybody knew we had to be on mm-hmm. time and and so it was like it was guidance you know like mm-hmm. there was no discipline floating around in hip-hop besides those two guys right so they were like real sort of everything was like super timely militant business like and cube was a year younger than me and he would say things like don't call me on the weekends that's my family time so i was <laughs> learning from him you know right yeah that's so i was awesome. looking at it like i want to be like that guy so that's one of the reasons why i went into besides my dad that went into film also like yeah. i saw him writing scripts while he was waiting for me to finish a beat or you know what i mean and he mm-hmm. was always working so that that was inspiring you know? mm-hmm. and then tupac 
you know, you, you go in the room with Tupac and you feel like you can do anything. You know, before that, I might have had like, you know, everybody has self-doubt issues or is right. this be cool or is this the right direction? You asked about like where I got that confidence from, Tupac, yeah. for sure. He'll be like, just do it. Like, let's go. Wow. Like, to Live and Die in L.A., we recorded that song in like 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I played him, played him the record and like 20 minutes later, the whole thing was finished. So you can go from just the concept to having the full manifestation of that mm -hmm. in like 10, 20 minutes with Tupac. So. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. In constant danger, South Central LA can't get no stranger. Full of drama like a soap opera. On the curb, watching the ghetto bird helicopters. I observe so many homies getting three strikes, tossed to jail. Sweat a pen right across from hell. I can't cry because it's home now. I'm just a player on his own now. Living like thug style, so I can't smile right into my love. And then, so, you know, you talk about like the tide sort of shifts. So, you know, instead of this leadership, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of followers. Why? Do you have any sense of why that happened? I think, I think, my own theory on it is that I think people see leaders pass away, and mm -hmm. they think that's going to happen to them too if they speak the truth. Maybe. Interesting. I think that's part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're like, let me disguise it a little bit more, mm -hmm. you know. And then I think the other part is, you know, unless you've met somebody like Tupac, you can't truly understand and appreciate how broad he was right. you can't that's why I wanted to do these documentaries mm -hmm. you know and I'll be in the studio with Tupac or, or even Mob Deep or, or Ice Cube or any of these guys any of the rappers the conversation was always way higher frequency than what you saw on MTV mm -hmm. so I was like I want to bring that out of people and show the world what we know about right. our culture you know? right. yeah that's awesome so, that's yeah. really cool is you talked about that era being really special yeah is it still special? <laughs> like, is is music now, you know, we hear, <laughs> you know, Josh and I laugh a lot at the office. You know, I'll play something and he's like, that's garbage. And he always plays throwbacks because that's like what he remembers and and respects, right? So I have a hard time because I live in, a, I grew up in a different time, like, you know. So is it still special? <laughs> I think I think it's special in the sense that it's offering a lot of people who may not otherwise have an opportunity to, to do something with their with their special talents, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that's always been the great thing about hip-hop. It's an opportunity, you mm -hmm. know? Right. Um, I think in terms of the music, you know, like I remember when we were working, like like when Dre was doing Straight Outta Compton and all that stuff, like I would just sit and wait for my session and watch him work. Yeah. And when he was doing the DOC album and, and all that stuff, and, and, and they would do like 100 songs, and then out of those 100 songs, they would pick like 20, and then they would pick, 10 out of that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then do another 20 songs you know and just kept going and they work a year year and a half on ev every project which is why they kind of sounded so good and then you know for for each album they were focusing on food groups so they were like okay we need one song dance song we need three radio songs so we can do three singles then we need one for the girls everything was planned out right as an album so mm -hmm. then once they picked those 12 15 songs that go on the album they would sit and listen to the to the songs in different sequences over and over like for weeks, if not if not months, like and resequence it so that you could play the whole album, 
you know, beginning to end mm -hmm. without having to stop it. Right. And there was an art to all of that. Yeah, and everything that's was so nuanced and like mindful. And I think that's what's missing today. If I if I had to say, it's that people are more like this is throw a bunch of songs together. We get a track from here. I'll record it in Atlanta and then email it to somebody else. Right. It, it's not really masterminded in the same way. Mm -hmm. mm. So that that's the main difference. So like, so instead of food groups, it's fast food. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and it's thematic. We, right. We're missing out on thematic albums that were, you know, planned out for a long time with themes that you could listen to at any given point and mm -hmm. take you right there. Right. You know, it's not. Well, the album as a vehicle is pretty much gone, right? Yep. Yep. That and also, you know, the people that I worked, I, I specifically, I didn't have a manager really. You know, mm -hmm. maybe for short periods of time, but. They were managing. They weren't like guiding. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And and my main thing was I would just pick people that I felt were making a difference and like had an impact. And usually those are the ones that'll be around for a long time. Mm -hmm. So that's the other part is like somebody who has a plan for their audience. Right. Like all the greats, Bob Marley, John Lennon, every they all had a plan in their mind of what they wanted their audience to feel mm -hmm. and think and all those things. And I think that's what makes a great artist. Right. So that that's also not quite as pronounced today. Like. Artists don't come with a mission. They're just like, I'm here to entertain. Right. Write, they might even write great songs, but that full body sort of plan mm -hmm. may not be as strong today. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's well said. So did you try? I know I, I do remember sometimes shortly after we first met, because I, you know, I spent a bunch of time with, with Red Foo, with Kendall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's my man. And he was working. Uh, you guys were working together. Yeah. And I remember I was... You know, I always tell the story about how crazy he is because, uh, <laughs> you know, he, um, you know, he was living with his mom in, in Pacific Palisades. We used to go yeah. to his house and yeah. hang out. And then next thing I know, he's like, I'm moving. Oh, where are you moving? I'm moving into, uh, you know, he's like, I'm moving to South Central. Right. It's like, okay, that's a, you know, big cultural change right there. <laughs> right. But he moved into your office building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you had, and he had his studio, and mm -hmm. then he would run down the hall to use the shot. You know, the sh I think he had to go down the block to use the shower. Yeah, and he was like living in an <laughs> office building, and I, at the time, I mean, I was just like, dude, you're Barry Gordy's son. Like, why are you living in an office building? Right, right. You know, but he right. needed to go through whatever. Right. He creative. Was going yeah, he was a creative. And obviously, you know, it's worked out for him. He's, you know, right. he's been able to do some cool things with it. But I know you were mentoring him. Yeah. And so, um, uh, you know, I'm curious with, um, like, how has that worked out for you being a mentor to other people and trying to, like, pass on some of these lessons? Um, uh, real quick, before that, you know, it's interesting because people might wonder the same thing about me, but, like, I grew up with my mother mostly as a kid. Sure. Mm -hmm. So I had the luxury, in my opinion, of growing up rich and poor. Yeah. You know, so that's why I was there. Yeah. You know, like, we, we from, from... Were you living in that building, too? Uh, for like eight years I was there oh shit yeah but I was I was lived around the corner I okay. lived in Inglewood at the time okay you know but, yeah. but still like that's that that wasn't something I did to reach out like mm -hmm. I grew up even in Sweden like mm -hmm. right. the last station which is like the Bronx you know what I mean right. right so so I actually had the luxury of being able to AB poor versus rich my whole yeah. life mm -hmm. which is why I wanted to do documentaries because I felt I could be a bridge mm -hmm. yeah like your your POV mm -hmm. was yep. But in terms of being strong. a mentor, like, like, that's something I wish I would have had more of as a kid, to be honest with you. Like, yeah. we had to read about people in remote locations, try to suck information and, yeah, and sure. learn things, and there was no internet. So, like, like, 
and nobody really putting you in position until I met Cube. He's the first one that was like, yo, I believe in you. Here's, mm-hmm. and yeah. he gave me everything you know I needed to succeed. And so um, I want to do that for other people. So that that's definitely important to me, mm-hmm. you know. And Kendall, like like I said, he he was he was super technical, like a really smart guy. Yeah. You know, really technical and curious. You know, and like I'm I'm like half geek and half hip hop, and I right. think he's kind of the same way. Like yeah. like we're both very curious intellectually, so like that's how we connected. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I probably learned more from him than he learned from me at the mm-hmm. time. You know? Nice. So yeah, we we were we were the first producers I think that had like computers to produce with like in hip hop we were definitely the first like yeah. we were working on black and white Atari mm-hmm. computers doing like Ghetto Bird and all that mm-hmm. oh that's funny yeah 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 why oh why must you swoop through the hood like everybody from the hood it's up to no good you think all the girls around here were tricking up there looking like super chicken at night I see a light through my bedroom window but I ain't got shit with the packing pencil I can't wait till I hear you say I'm going down mayday mayday I'm gonna clam cause every time that the pigs have got me y'all rub it in with the flying Nazi military force but we don't want yeah he produced one of my first demos really and it was we had a demo deal with Columbia Okay. And um, and I used three producers, and that was really my first time going in the studio. Right. And it was interesting for me to watch three different producers, three totally different approaches. Right. And yeah, Kendall was like mad technical and. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, exactly. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. So, learning everything that you did through you know Cube, um, and everyone, moving away from the music space, going into tech now. What's a work day like? I thought hip hop was tough and competitive, man. <laughs> That's the one thing about tech that people have no idea is is it'll 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 rock your world in terms of like like the intensity and the tenacity you have to have and the emotional fortitude to deal with all these little ups and downs of the iterative tech world mm-hmm. and how smart everybody is. Like you're right. not dealing with your average competitor. Everybody went to Stanford. Everybody's super smart. Right. So it just raises the game and, and the internet is alive twenty four seven. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no sleeping on it, so you can't make a record go away, come back. It's not like that at all. Man, if somebody asked me what's the difference between tech and music. People show up on time. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you know? big. Yeah, so, and like, they're all prepared. Yeah, exactly. So you know, if if you come to a tech meeting twenty minutes late, the meeting's over. That's it. Mm-hmm. You missed the window. The meeting was twenty minutes. You right. know. Whereas mm-hmm. in music, you know, you're lucky if the executive shows up within an hour. Right. You know? Right. So that's that's one of the differences. So now. One of the things that's different for sure is I used to wake up at two in the afternoon and ma- make records whenever I wanted to, whereas mm-hmm. now you're getting up at six at the latest, right. no matter what, mm-hmm. no matter what. And then, like, um, there's so many things you got to deal with. Like, um, I think the big misconception of the web is that you build something, you put it up, and what you see is everything. And really, right. 99% of the work is behind what you see, right. you know, and keeping all that stuff running and, you know, all the customer service and and like the tech tech part of it and and i mean there's users right user complaints user assistance mm-hmm. i mean there's so mm-hmm. many different it's overwhelming things you have to, to really think about yeah. and there's like always a new tool to help streamline something that you're like oh why didn't i think of this why exactly. isn't this part of my process already exactly and there's a there's a startup popping up every day just like a rapper yeah it's so super competitive it's super competitive so yeah, you have to think if they you know ben horowitz He's another one of my mentors now. 
he he calls it four dimensional chess, and that's exactly how I would describe mm. it. Oh, n- wow. nice. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think the so what are some of the similarities you're seeing between the tech and the music worlds? Similarities I see is 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 albums are projects, mm-hmm. and and websites are projects also, mm-hmm. or even startups. Yeah. So how you how you hire, how do you attract a high end team? You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like to get somebody like Kendall on your, you know what I mean, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you have to figure out what is it that attracts high end team members. And then, um, and then once you get them, you know, how do you keep them motivated? And what I've found is that most really smart people, um, they kind of want to tell you how they work. Yeah, it's not the other way around. So you, you, more of a hands-off approach where mm-hmm. you nudge them every now and then. Yeah, mm-hmm. and really good people tend to r- work really good together. You know, right. when everybody's motivated and focused on what they do, mm-hmm. and they're not trying to do everything else, things tend to just flow really nicely. Yeah, so yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So what's the, um, you know, you, you've been through this a couple times. You know, it sounds, not to sum up your career in 30 seconds, right? <laughs> but, but it, but w- you know, it feels like y- you sort of reach a level of success and then there's some, something drives you to like move on and do something else. Yep. So what is that in this endeavor that you're hoping, li- like what's the, what's the goal you know, what are you hoping to come out of all your efforts in technology? So, um, I mean, I, I I had different missions with different pieces, but I, I think I've always known intrinsically that that tomorrow's world is not just going to be one skill set. So I never yeah. looked at music as my end all, right? right? And I never looked at film as my end all. Mm-hmm. But I knew that, like Steve Jobs, he left apple and then came back as the ceo after he learned entertainment and Mm -hmm. marketing and all these different things in the real world yeah so i kind of looked at my journey like that i read Mm -hmm. his book early and i went to atari computer camp and all that Mm -hmm. and so i modeled i was always looking at that so i looked where'd you go to computer camp uh palo alto okay yeah i went in calabasas really yeah nice yeah. Got the little Atari shirt still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? That's funny. And so I always knew that that it's going to be a three-course meal at the end of the day. Like, mm-hmm. y- yeah. you can't be in music without knowing technology or storytelling mm-hmm. and film. Today, without video, you're, you're right. and it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So um, so I just looked at it as tenors in each one, learning hands-on. Like, I was making films, learning how to edit everything, mm-hmm. like After Effects, yeah. all that stuff. And then learning how branded entertainment works, right. learning how the tech stacks work, uh, learning how the tech community works. And then now it's all coming together. I created basically my dream job with, with WeMash. So I see that as kind of my destination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There'll be other things probably, but right. that's like I've always built to I bought the URL in 2004. Right. So I've always planned. I, mm-hmm. I held on to all the rights for my content just to do this, you know. Mm-hmm. So if that works out, then I'm going to bring everything into that and basically look at that as like um, like I can do everything there. I can do yeah. music. I can do mm-hmm video and technology all sure. in one room. Yeah, that's really inspiring. What would uh, what would make you want to produce another record? You know, that's interesting you say that because I've, I've been feeling the itch for a long Uh-oh. time. <laughs> I didn't think about it at all. Okay. And then I actually saw Cube up at the Straight Outta Compton uh, mm-hmm. premiere in Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. Ben did a screening there. Yeah. And, um, and, and it just kind of bit me again because, like, my kids are now into the generation of hip-hop that I was working on. For a long time, it just didn't cross my path so much. How old are your kids? My kid, my son's 13. Okay. Yeah. Good age. Now yeah. he's like sharing all his ideas. And my daughter sings like really good. Oh, really? Yeah, super cute. And all nice. What's up, Mia? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So are you going to make, are you going to, 
Is there another generation of Joneses coming into the music <laughs> business? I think my daughter is going to take it to the next level. Is she's that right? Like, she sings every day for like eight hours, man. No way. She's on YouTube, practicing with her headphones on. That's amazing. Yeah. I read four hours a day is like you can learn any skill set if you practice for four hours a day. Yeah. But eight hours, wow, that's she's awesome. ten, and she sounds like Rihanna or, you know. Oh, my God, amazing. Or something like that. Wow. She's so dope. cool. That's cool. Yeah. You get, so are you going to make a record with her? Is that what you're thinking of? If she lets me, I would okay. love to, you know? Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, she's yeah, still a little shy with it, but she's really good. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, professionally good. Like, yeah. 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 That's funny. Um, so, you you know, you've been really successful in, in video. Yeah. And, um, you know, like, like you mentioned, you started kind of before the web, and then, you know, yeah. you've been involved in, in video for the web. So how does that, how do you see that world changing, you know, and, and what, like, you know, it feels to me like YouTube and those platforms have ushered in a new approach to filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what's your take on, on, like, what's happening with video right now? I got a funny story about that because being a techie, Whenever like a new technology would emerge, I would just go see them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like when YouTube before they they got acquired by uh, Google, I just went up there and, mm-hmm. and called up Chad Hurley and was like, we just went up there and we asked them if we can do a channel and at the time they didn't have capabilities. So um so we were one of their first channels period because wow. they called us they're like all right we're ready mm-hmm. you know so yeah so I remember I went up there and it was just one room like this size maybe twice as big as this and just plastic chairs and a table <laughs> and I was like this is what startups look like you know crazy for sure so so anyways I, I saw that from day one and me and me and Chad Hurley we were laughing about that on Twitter the other yeah. day like remember that time you know they were out there nervous trying to close the deal yeah that's hilarious so um but my take on like online videos like I've been a supporter since day one I used to go to, to the digital Hollywood stuff like mm-hmm. before YouTube existed mm-hmm. I've been in it since day one you yeah. know and I'm a big believer in that you know we're gonna see you know films shot on phones and all mm-hmm. kind of stuff coming yeah crazy yeah. yeah I love it that's one of the reasons why I like we match because I want to be part of sort of nurturing that community right like the DIY kind of just go out and do it mm-hmm. it's, it reminds me of hip-hop that's mm-hmm. what I like it. you know people mm-hmm. are resourceful and they yeah. just find a way to make it work you know so I love it I think I think that you know I'm, I mean there's gonna be film festivals just for that you yeah know, yeah all kind of things I think it's it's incredible and it's what I like about it all, you ask me what my mission is with my work, it's always to, to help the underserved in some way, mm-hmm. maybe not overtly, but if you build a platform that helps them get a lift and be able to monetize without being outside hustling, yeah. that, that's that's good. Yeah, so that's I think really that, that's what YouTube did mm-hmm. is it got people on their phones and their computers instead of hitting the block. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, we have room for one more question, but I have a question, so I'll Go save ahead. that last one for you. Uh, okay, I'm... You know, I have a r- long list of movies that I need to watch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always talking about <laughs> movies. Um, so, um, any favorite movies that I must see? F- like f- feature films? Yeah. Or f- films that you love, like all time, that maybe are more indie that I must see. I mean, it, it may be more like from an insider's like gourmet perspective, but mm-hmm. there's a documentary that I, I think is like, like the godfather of documentaries mm-hmm. in terms of the quality and the substance and just the, the, the visual aesthetics. It's called The Fog of War. The oh Fog yeah. of War. And it's, a, it's made by this guy named Errol Morris, who's like the godfather, you know. Nice. So if, you're, if you want to get into serious documentaries, like that's one to watch. And it's just one interview and visuals. And wow. It's, it's All right. 
Yeah. I'm watching it. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite DJ? Um, I I like I like what the what the dubstep guys are doing because it's very technical. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds like tech manifested in music, but in a really good tasteful mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And so um, who do who do you mess with? Uh, Snake. Okay. Dope, you know. Yeah. We've heard his name. Like Skrillex the other day. He's like I just like I like that whole little movement right there. Mm-hmm. Like where it's, they're almost like scientists, you know. Mm-hmm. And and coming up with these crazy sounds and we're we're talking a lot of those guys for the Wii Mash platform also because mm-hmm. you know a lot of them are doing visuals behind their sets mm-hmm. right so we're gonna be the fuel for that and yeah let them mash up whatever's on the platform so they yeah can use stuff that's cool yeah, yeah that um, is really cool is there one of your your father's records that impacted you the most oh there's a few uh, my favorite work of his to sample are his movie soundtracks his scores because mm. you know he would do like a little break that every four bars was different you know mm-hmm. yeah. had to match the picture so I, I, I raided that. You know, I killed that. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if he knows I got a lot of loot from there. Is that right? <laughs> um, but then Off the Wall is my favorite album. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And then uh, Smackwater Jack, too. Nice. And Mellow Madness. I like I like a lot of his older stuff. Yeah. His jazz. Right. Yeah. Smackwater Jack, he bought him a shot. Take no more abuse, so he shut down the congregation. So, well, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, it's great to you see have you. Um, yeah, likewise. Appreciate all the thanks insights. Me, yeah, you have a very humble energy, and you're very inspiring. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate it. Nice. All right, where can we? Well, should we do the? Oh yeah. Yeah, where can we find you on social? Can we promote some socials? Um. Yeah. Just I think he, I'm. <laughs> Instagram, I mean they're all different. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm Cutie Three on Twitter, you know, Instagram the real Cutie Three. Facebook just put my name in there. Uh, those are the main <laughs> thing, main platforms that and I is have. and is we mash is it up yet? Are we, are we, so are we're we launching the first app for We Mash um this week. Okay, oh nice. nice. So Apple yeah. just approved it, so the seventeenth it's going up live. Okay. Yeah, share it with so us. So check we'll the app store. Yeah, it's called Weems. W E M E S and that's video memes. So we're nice. evolving oh my gosh, memes that's by letting people put text over clips from yeah. our library like people like Kanye and Dre and all that. All that's right, fantastic. we're gonna be using it. Yeah. Uh so <laughs> yeah. we are out of here. That was QD three. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're on Dash Radio, hit us up. If you're on SoundCloud, hit us up. If you're on iTunes, hit us up. If you're on Twitter, at Rebel Radio Net, let us know what you thought. And come back next week for more Rebel Radio.